0: and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast, or should I say the bros in Red and White podcast. Oh, hello. Because uh, Mr. Andre Grayson is absent this week because of a mid-season transfer to a new home. Um, <laughs> and as such, I am joined by my brother, Chris Dow. So, hello there. Welcome, Chris Dow. How are you? I'm
1: good. And uh, I'm excited to be part of a, a very different podcast product than I than I normally am.
0: Yes, so for everyone who doesn't know, which is everyone, um, (laughs) Chris is a part of a podcast trio called R3 Sense, where they record and talk about video games. Um, So this is a a real change of pace, but football is obviously something that Chris is also into. So Chris, do you want to just give yourself a a brief introduction of your Arsenal supporting hood?
1: Yeah, I mean... (laughs) It's very different to yours uh, and I think anyone listening to this will, will come to realise that especially across the length of this episode that for a long time I suppose I was quite a casual Arsenal fan. Um, I, th- I think I started following the club just because that was what you had to do in our household and as we grew up obviously you went to an awful lot of games with dad like home games and for the most part I'd say especially in the real height of your indoctrination, you, you'd go to maybe 15 home games. And in that time, I might go to one with you and dad. Um, I still, I really enjoyed my time at those games. You know, it was great. We seemed to win every single match I went to as a kid. Uh, so it had, had an amazing return in terms of results. And every time we went, I got a nice batter sausage and chips. So that was pretty nice as well. <laughs> but o- over time, I think I've become more invested weirdly as... The club has kind of lost its luster and I don't know why that is it's just how you know how time works sometimes that across the last few years especially we've not been in the best place and and I'm sure any Arsenal fans that listen to this are, are patently aware of that but those are the times I've actually watched more and more games and become a bit more invested in in just the club as a whole and bizarrely for being what is you know on paper a casual fan in the last five or six years, I've been with you to Anfield, <laughs> I've been with you to uh, St. James's Park, I've been to both Bramall Lane and Hillsborough, and most contextually interesting, uh, Olympiacos away last season, <laughs> which is what, like minutes before the country was plunged into just perpetual lockdown? And essentially that game was patient zero, wasn't it, for the Premier League covid
0: Yeah, it was a. I mean, we're recording this, and it's pretty much um, a year to the day since the last time that we played a game, which was on the 7th of March last year, um, which was West Ham at home. So it's been awful that that was the last time that. Anyone was able to attend a football match. Obviously, we had the the, the couple in the middle where fans, were, uh, two thousand fans, were let in for two games. Yeah, but it's been uh, a long, long time, and that was that Olympiacos trip was almost a precursor for what was going to happen because it was shortly after that that it was announced that the I think it was the either the president of Olympiacos or the owner um, was confirmed to be COVID positive, and I think that might well have been the connection that Mikel Arteta had to the virus, which then led to the whole cancellation of the Premier League.
1: Yeah, just <laughs> so. shaking hands with everyone, Boris Johnson style. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's um, it's um, it's, it's been a really surreal year, which obviously has coincided with the uh, the founding of the Boys in Red and White podcast. But this is obviously a piece of history, because it's the first time that it's not just been myself and uh, and Andre. So, yeah. Very, very interesting. I, I will tell tell one story about when we were Arsenal fans growing up. Um, I know what
1: this is already.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and this was how my dad tried to get me and my brother to support um, Arsenal Football Club. Um, and he tried several methods, the first of which was... A threat to my brother um, because Chris decided after Aston Villa had won the League Cup in 1995 that they were going to be his team. <laughs> and my dad very, very quickly jumped in like all appropriate fathers who have an interest in football would and said, if you support Aston Villa, you will be living in the shed, which as we are aware, that would have been a completely empty threat. But... Chris, I believe, was maybe eight at the time.
1: Probably. probably. <laughs> so
0: that was a threat that he took seriously, I'm sure. Um, and then Dad also then decided to make us support Arsenal by paying us when we won the <laughs> double. Um, so in 1998, the, uh, the second double in the Arsenal's history, uh, Dad offered myself and my brother £100 if Arsenal won the league and an extra £50 if we won the FA Cup. <laughs> So, it was a good
1: year. Good it was year. a good year,
0: and it cost us uh, £300. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a, a, a good year, nonetheless. And it, obviously, it got me. it I I was hooked fairly quickly. And as Chris said, it sort of took you a little bit longer to be sort of indoctrinated into the uh, lifestyle that uh, <laughs> Arsenal brings about. But uh, you're here now, and now you watch pretty much all the games, don't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially this year, because there's so little to do. That you know, once upon a time it could have been. Oh, I could watch Arsenal, but I am meant to be going out later or something, and I'd and I'd make that call between them. Now it's like oh, I could watch Arsenal, I could do fuck all, so <laughs> I, I just decide to watch the games. And yeah, I've, I've pretty much watched every game this year.
0: Yeah, and you've also watched some other games. I remember you texted me and said that you were watching Crawley versus Leeds United.
1: <laughs> Good game.
0: <laughs> so you're you're not just an Arsenal fan now. You're a, you're a football fan. <laughs>
1: Well, Crawley specifically. Crawley
0: specifically. <laughs> um, but yeah, some uh, interesting games that you have uh, attended as well, which you obviously you went through quite the list of um, venues that you have visited. Uh, and obviously the Olympiacos one was the, uh, the the shining glory for that. Yeah,
1: absolute crowning, crowning moment in my Arsenal career.
0: Yeah. Okay, before we get into the nitty-gritty of uh, everything that's happened in the past week, uh, we are going to do a commentary quiz today. And I'm going to preface this because Chris is obviously not as much of a football nerd as myself. So there are probably only a select few pieces of commentary that I would expect Chris to get. Um, Now, this one, there's no way in a million years you will not get this. Okay. Okay. So that's that's how confident I am. So, are are you ready for your first piece of commentary quiz?
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Right. You cannot kick a plastic bottle away like that.
1: (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So this, (laughs) I don't know the specific year, of course, but this is this is Arsene Wenger at um, against Man United, isn't it? Yeah. Sent off. What season was it? Come on, give me Uh, the context.
0: It was the 2008-2009 season, I believe. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) the context of it is that Arsenal went to Old Trafford, um, took the lead through uh, Andre Arshavin Thunderbolt, um, and then Manchester United scored twice, including an Abu Dhabi-owned goal. Um, And then we equalised in the last minute of the game, um, but it Correctly was ruled out for offside, and Arsene Wenger was asked to leave the uh, leave the touchline, having kicked a plastic bottle in frustration. <laughs> and the, co- the commentary that I gave was of Gordon Strachan narrating that on uh, BBC's Match of the Day two.
1: <laughs> it's great, a brilliant clip.
0: I will post that on our social media channels because it's it's always worth a watch. Um, and I knew you'd get that immediately. <laughs> And largely because, obviously, you told me to use that on Andre at one point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you both play the game properly, so it probably wasn't appropriate for a regular episode.
0: Yeah, play the game, son. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, are you ready for yours? I, I am,
0: but well done. You are. Uh, <laughs> you are now level with uh, myself and Andre for getting at least one correct answer.
1: <laughs> one for one. <laughs>
0: 100% record.
1: Okay, for you. No emotion, no context. Winterburn's corner.
0: <laughs> is, is this the uh, David Platt thump?
1: Of course. Of course. So
0: this is Nigel Winterburn's corner. Uh, wh- an outswinger whipped into the, uh, the near post. David Platt rises like a salmon. And as he heads the ball... Uh, you can hear a thud on the microphone as it comes off his forehead and into the top corner over a flailing Gary Neville, who's on the line trying to stop it. Um, one of the best headed goals I think anyone will ever see.
1: <laughs> it was good, powerful.
0: It was, and uh, there was a, there was a, there was a moment then when you said Winterburn's corner that I was very concerned that I wasn't going to get that. And no. Then- you-
1: because I have such a limited knowledge of these specific bits of commentary, I, I had to draw from essentially one of the clips that you have played me a hundred times. And and this happens to be one of those goals. You've played me that noise, not even the full clip, just just the thump, the thud of his head at least a hundred times.
0: I have. Uh, and that that is a game that Andre likes to remind me that he was at. Was it? He? Um, he was at that game. So it's... Um... It's always a nice one to talk about, but there's, a, there's we, we touched on it um, last week, but there's always a, a select few games that Andre talks about and vice versa, where we have real envy towards the other person that they were there. And last week we covered uh, Andre visiting the Bernabeu to see Arsenal win 1-0 um, in 2006. And then obviously today he's <laughs> come up and he's not even here. Um, <laughs> that, he was at that one as well. And that, that would have been an amazing game to be at because Arsenal led 2-0 um and Teddy Sheringham scored twice to get Manchester United level and uh it was a late winner from uh, David Platt that made it 3-2 and it was a, a crucial win in a, uh, a double winning campaign so lots of mentions of the double this uh, this podcast so far yeah,
1: and bizarrely a bit of synergy that we both picked bits of commentary from from Man United games
0: that 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 actually happens uh, surprisingly often with me and Andre yeah. as well. Uh, well. Quite often we both pick the same player, or when we reminisce about goals at the end, we talk about the same season uh, or or different areas like that. So it does happen quite quite often. But um, I'm 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 very pleased that I've kept up. I I believe I'm on a hundred percent record for these. <laughs> um, Ridiculous. Because, obviously, there's been a few that we've had to have a few clues in there and stuff, but I, I think eventually I've got all of them so far. So, that is my claim to fame, that I have a ludicrous memory for football commentary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a specialist skill.
0: Yeah, they should. I should go on Mastermind, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you were going to go on Mastermind, what would be your specialist subject?
1: It'd have to be something to do with video games, but... I don't know how, how niche you need to go, really, to give yourself the best chance. Because even for you in commentary, if you, if you were going down that road, you'd have to say, like, notable Arsenal commentary from this season or something like that, because it, it's got to be kind of drilled down. Otherwise, even the best person in the world is not going to get every single one from, you know, all of time. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what my specific subject would be.
0: I I think I'd have a a decent chance of getting a half-decent score in my specialist knowledge if I went for the Arsene Wenger era of Arsenal. Oh,
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. I think
0: think I'd have a good chance with that. So um, maybe that's something that I will uh, look into in the future. (laughs) We shall see. We shall see. Okay, so now that we've covered the commentary quiz and done Chris's... uh, elaborate introduction to his uh, supporting hood of Arsenal Football Club, Uh, we need to talk about uh, the Burnley game from the weekend. And I sort of giggled when I said that because the last episode that me and Andre recorded was obviously on the back of the Leicester uh, 3-1 win. And we were both in buoyant mood and we were almost giddy when we were were recording that. (laughs) And I've done my best to build uh, this podcast up to a point where we might be able to harbour that sort of energy but I am concerned that it might derail at this point because there really wasn't an awful lot to get excited about in our 1-1 draw at Um Chris what were your initial thoughts um, after the game?
1: I was I was really annoyed at this game mainly because of the way that we started quite strong and especially in the first half there was there was there was nothing to worry about. It was one of those games where it was like, okay, we, we weren't scoring goals, 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 but we also were not under any threat, it seemed, at all. And to concede a goal in, in the fashion we did, and I'm sure obviously we will talk about that in a bit more detail in a bit, but to, to, <laughs> <No>. to concede <laughs> but to concede in that way and then have no urgency to the way we played until what, the last 10 minutes of the game? Yeah. That, well, it was such an Arsenal performance from the last few years because of that. And, and that was really frustrating because especially off the back, like you say, of the Leicester match, we looked like a decent team against Leicester. And, and we arrived with the right plan for, for kind of that game, given the context of the European stuff before. And the, the whole strategy worked and everyone seemed to know their role. And then we turned to, you know, the Burnley game, which on paper is an easier match. And we just looked like dogs for most of the game because there was just there, there wasn't there wasn't any purpose to almost anyone on the field, and it was a really frustrating watch for you know me as the person that is not an Arsenal obsessive, but I'm sure for you and Andre as well.
0: Yeah, it was infuriating. Uh, Andre texted me on Sunday morning and said, "I'm still flat about that." Yeah. Um, and it was one of those ones I, I I put a tweet out on Saturday and said that it's half till on a Saturday and the weekend's ruined already yeah and I, I completely stand by that because the whole weekend I just kept going back to that game and thinking about what went ro- uh, what went wrong and why it went wrong and Obviously, like you say, we'll get onto the goal shortly. Um, there's no getting around talking about that one. Um, <laughs> but just just to sort of give an overall sort of perspective about how the game sort of went. Um, as you so rightly said, we started the game really, really well um, and we were creating chances. And certainly for the first half an hour, we should have put the game to bed.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, Burnley shouldn't have been in the contest and we should have had a really comfortable second half. Um Missed a, a few good chances um, and then obviously gave them an equaliser. Um, utterly ridiculous. As I say, we'll get onto that in a bit more detail shortly. But the thing that frustrated me more than anything in that entire match was the spell from half time up until maybe the 75th or 80th minute because we were just nothing. We didn't offer anything. We didn't look like we were going to do anything. Um there was no inventiveness, there was no urgency, and it wasn't until we sensed that we could get something uh, more than a point from the game in the last 10 minutes that we actually started playing again. And all of a sudden, if we played like that in the second half, there's no doubt in my mind that we would have comfortably won that game. Yeah. Um, obviously, Burnley had a couple <laughs> chances, including that one-on-one one that Leno saved, Um but realistically, we had the better chances throughout the game. We hit the bar. We hit the post in the last last second. Um, we had what, was, what in my eyes, was a nailed-on penalty not given. Um, and obviously, we had the uh, the VAR being correctly used for the uh, rescinding of the red card and the penalty that was given later in the game. So yeah. we've got a lot to talk about in terms of VAR. But I'll get on to Granit Xhaka for his mistake now. Um, And I've seen loads of things online talking about the incident. And there's very much two camps, which when you support Arsenal, there always seems to be that, whether it's (laughs) Arsenal in, Arsenal, do you like Arsenal fan TV, which I can't believe anyone says yes, but some people (laughs) unbelievably do. Um, As you you can probably tell on this podcast, we're very much, no, we don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) But... Even with a a decision like this, it was very much a case of, well, it's Xhaka's fault or it's Leno's fault. And I think the truth lies somewhere in between the two because there's no getting around what Granit Xhaka did to try and play that pass in that situation and play it so poorly. um, You can't get away from the fact that that was a terrible mistake. But there obviously are things that you could maybe suggest that Burton Leno could have done better. Uh, I've seen some people talk about his positioning when he's receiving the ball back to him. Um, and I've seen other people say that, um, well, yeah, like that he should be towards the left of the goal. But I'm not really worried about that. What I'm more worried about is that Burnt Leno can see the whole of the game. He's looking straight out to the pitch, whereas Granite Jack has his back to, to the play. So really, you're trusting Burnt Leno to be the one to... Uh, or, organize and orchestrate that that move to play out from the back because he can see everything. Now, obviously, we we don't know what he said to Xhaka because if that was if that was me in that situation, I would say either get rid or play it back to me so that then Leno can get rid. But because Arteta is trying to implement this passing game and this and this playing out from the back, um, it's it's very difficult to avoid the occasional error like that. But that one for me was just far too big an error to to be able to justify because it, in the professional game playing at that level, that shouldn't happen. Um, so that was kind of my, my my initial feeling towards it. But I think most of the blame probably has to go to Granit Xhaka, but Leno is not completely out of it when it comes to criticism.
1: I, I felt just annoyed at... Obviously, those are the two players who are involved, but for that to happen at all, it's it's playing with a complacency that we didn't deserve at that point. And, and what I mean is that it, it almost feels disrespectful that, you know, you're, you're you're passing it around in the box. And I know that's kind of the, the position that Arteta wants the, the team to build from the back and kind of sculpt play in that way. But you can do that when you're 5-0 up. You you know, you can make those sort of passes around a box when you're just so stuffed with confidence that you're like, yeah, I could just twist it around him. I could I could twirl it over the top. Well, you know, Xhaka's pass that he tries to play out is, is like a bending pass. It's like, why are you doing that at 1-0 up? Like, <laughs> I just don't understand what his thinking was at that point, just whether it's a, a lack of communication. But yeah, the, the main thing is just that complacency that, Okay, it's Burnley. They're not—they're not a great side. Yes, after that when we had been pretty dominant, but we'd only scored the one goal. But it is just a one-goal lead, and and you shouldn't at that stage be dicking around like that. <laughs> it, <laughs> I couldn't really, have put it
0: better myself.
1: <laughs> it, it just feels like it's, it's five aside stuff at that point, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's the, those are the sort of errors that you make when you're just having a kick about with your friends <laughs> because it doesn't matter. Whereas you know th- this game, bizarrely was actually quite important in the grand scheme of the season in terms of like trying to get a bit of a foothold in the league. We've come off the back of, I guess, quite a surprising win at Leicester given recent form. And and then to kind of do that at a point where we should have just sewn this game up. We'd, we'd missed two or three sitters by that point, really. But to to then let them in and essentially, you know, drop two points because of that mistake, it's, it's an embarrassment.
0: Yeah, uh, I think you summed it up quite nicely. And I, I think it, it leads to a wider issue Um, beyond this game because this is not the first time this season that we've suffered at the hands of an individual mistake Um, and this is happening time and time and time again and as much as I'm not going to alleviate Arteta of any criticism whatsoever because he obviously has made mistakes throughout the season otherwise we wouldn't be sat 10th in the league (laughs) but He's being let down by the players at his disposal time and time again. And the players at his disposal that are letting him down are unfortunately the ones that were here before he arrived. And it's really alarming that we're still in this situation and... As much as you've got some people who want Arteta to go now and don't think he's the right person for the job, I still think it's impossible to judge whether he is the right man for the job because he's not got a team of players that he can trust. He's got a team of players that are willing to implement his tactics and try and play the way that he wants them to play. But some of them just simply aren't good enough. And as, as much as Granit Xhaka has improved massively over the last probably six to eight weeks, uh, you know that he's always got that mistake in him. And unfortunately, he is a player that until we upgrade on him as a starting player for Arsenal Football Club, we're going to continue to see this this routine and this habit of having a run of good games and then an awful mistake like that. Because unfortunately, it just doesn't look like that. That is something that you can get out of Granit Xhaka's game, regardless of how much you coach him or how much you play him and how much you trust him. So it's really, really, really frustrating. Um, but I think it does touch on that wider issue that the depth of the squad and the ability within this squad just isn't good enough. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I think the ability thing, it's like we don't have a bad team overall. Like if, if you look at individual players, you think there's some pretty decent characters. But you, you always have that issue, like you say, of just any one of them seems to be able to have a really stinking game. Yeah. Um, Or or not even that. I I suppose that's a bit too harsh, especially like you say, that players like Xhaka have come a long way in in this kind of like mid-portion of this season. But it's players that can have a good game, but still cause an error like that, which will just sink the hope of that tie.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely correct. And it's... I keep coming back to the word frustrating because that's exactly what it is. It's just, it's so hard to watch it week in, week out. And obviously we, we get these sort of glimmers of hope like the Leicester game where we feel like we've turned a corner. And then we go and produce a display like that, which by the way, you predicted. You told I know, me I know. a week before the Leicester game that we would win at Leicester and put in a really good performance and then go and ruin it all at Burnley. <laughs>
1: So I should I should start betting because I, I I think I've got a pretty good eye for this stuff.
0: I, I think you have because you called that. way you called the last two weeks of Arsenal's um, season pretty perfectly. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll get some predictions later in the podcast and see how you how you fare this week. Okay. Um, yeah. But that was. <laughs> oh, I, I'm going to move on to the VAR now because I feel like that's a that's another issue that definitely yeah. deserves a little bit of airtime, um, and. <laughs> I have always been someone that I was never a fan of air. I didn't want it. I felt I always felt like it was going to ruin the emotion and the um, instant uh, reaction um, for, for match-going supporters. Um, but there's certain things when you can justify it and say, you know what, it does work and that's why you have it. And I look at the decision to overturn the Peters' red card And the subsequent penalty that would have been given, because obviously the referees thought it was a handball replays quite clearly show it's hit his shoulder. So therefore they've intervened and they've got that decision correct. So no issues with that whatsoever. Where I do have the issues is that I'm going to go back to a game that wasn't the Arsenal game. Um, And when... Chelsea played at Liverpool during uh, uh, midweek last week Um, they had a goal disallowed where it looked like it was level, they drew loads of lines and couldn't really deliberate whether the guy was offside or not and then because of maybe like a tenth of a millimetre they decided oh he's offside and it got disallowed. But then in the Arsenal game we had like what I said earlier, what I would consider a stonewall penalty for handball again by Eric Peters And it was not given, despite a VAR review. And it's another decision in a long line of decisions where we are just not getting consistency in the Premier League. And in its current form, you have to say that it's not working. It's not working. It hasn't worked this season. It hasn't worked since it's been implemented at the beginning of last season. And what's most uh, alarming is that it's not really down to VAR, if you look at the Arsenal decision. It's down to the fact that two qualified referees who have got to this point in professional football have looked at that decision with someone who has an outstretched arm and obviously denied Arsenal um, by progressing the attack. And have deemed that that's not worthy of a penalty and i think arteta said it brilliantly after the game when he said if that's not a penalty someone needs to show me what is yeah and I... it's really it's, it's just infuriating and don't don't get me wrong that's by no means why we didn't win that game we had enough chances we and we didn't do enough during that middle third of the game um, to 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 get the three points and we should have but there's so many decisions this season that have gone against us. I think, Off the top of my head, I think of that one. I think of a disallowed goal at home to Leicester, which would have put us 1-0 up and changed the whole perspective of that game. Um, and there's, there's countless other ones where we just have not got the right rub the green. And this was the whole point of VAR. It was meant to get rid of this conversation. And if anything, the conversation's got louder. There's more people talking about this stuff. There's more complaints about what's going on within football. Um, so it's it's very, very hard to just sit there and accept decisions like that against your team. Um, what did you make of it, Chris? I'll, I'll stop ranting for a minute. <laughs> I,
1: I think it's been interesting. As you say, I've watched a few other games this year that I probably wouldn't have normally, and VAR does completely change the feeling of a game for a start. Like you mentioned, it, it means that everything's a bit more stilted, because even a, you know, a goal that looks just tacked on, you know you can't argue it, still has to have that portion of just that little weight, that little kind of like arming and ahhing. But more than that, it's, it's the word you said about consistency. And it's consistency not only of how VAR is being used and, and how footage is being reviewed and, and how kind of decisions are being made and, and how they come to, but it's consistency amongst like individual rules of, of football at the moment. And in in the last week, you know, in, in context of recording this, that the discussion is now being had about how how handballs are reviewed from is it from next season?
0: Well, they changed it on the back of the Fulham one. They changed yeah. it the next day.
1: But but is that in <sighs> is that then in circulation from that point, or is it yeah. then advisory? I, I no. thought it, I thought it wasn't until next season. It was it was officially legal.
0: I think is. I, I, I might I might be wrong with that I think it was straight away, but um that isn't much comfort to Fulham. No, no, no.
1: <laughs> but I mean but I mean that's that's the whole thing. Like I watched that game. I, I watched that Fulham game and that was devastating for them because you and, know and that, that was their point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to see to see Tottenham somehow pull a, pull out of that game despite playing like ugh, wankers terrible they're an appalling team but anyway that's 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 different isn't it but no for for these handball decisions it's it's watching something like you say that looks like it has to be a penalty and in a regular game if you didn't have var and someone stuck their hand out and peters has clipped it in that way stopped an attack you you'd kind of have like 50 50 like where is the referee standing is has he seen that does he think it's accidental because it's there for a split second? You know, what, what what is the call at that stage? But with VAR, you shouldn't have that conversation because the referee can see it again and and the fourth official can watch it on the monitor. And, and everyone has that information in front of them to hopefully see that's a foul. <laughs> that should be a penalty. And it just isn't happening like that.
0: Yeah. Um, that Obviously, that the VAR official for that game was Kevin Friend, who... Always loves makes Arsenal. Me, he always makes me laugh because every time um, I hear his name, I think of my friend Kieran, um, who's a Norwich supporter, and says that every time Kevin Friend is a referee at a Norwich game, his granddad will reply and go, Kevin Friend, you're nobody's friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I, it, thought, and- I thought you were going to do the Father Ted quote of, he's no friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I should have have done that, really. But uh, that is what Kieran always says, and it it makes me laugh every single time I hear that story. Um, But he's seen it again. He's been able to watch it and has not given the penalty for that. I just don't don't understand it. And what says everything about that decision is even BT's expert, Peter Walton, who (laughs) never never disagrees with any on-field decision. Even he said that he was surprised he didn't get given as a penalty. Yeah. So that says it all, because Peter Walton, particularly for Arsenal, will never, ever go against what the on-field decision is. He'll always come up with some bollocks about why why it wasn't and why it's all about... More often than not, he doesn't even give an opinion. He just tells you what the rule is, yeah. which, which doesn't help. That's not why you're there, Peter. Well, maybe it is. Maybe that is why he's there, and that's why he's useless. But <laughs> as you can tell, I'm a big, big Peter Walton fan. <laughs> um, but, he, club, yeah. but he was on our side at the weekend so it's utterly baffling um, but and, and I think until the officials are better and I, I don't think we're going to see much change so it's uh, <laughs> something we're going to have to live with for a while because at the moment the current crop of referees are just just nowhere near the standard they need to be for the, for the level of football that, that they're officiating at okay, rant over Um, Big deep breath. On a positive note, I was really impressed with the impact that Nicola Pepe made when he came on on the weekend. And I thought he was pretty unlucky not to start that game because he was excellent at Leicester. I was really
1: surprised. I was really surprised he didn't make the starting team.
0: Well, he was excellent at Leicester. And the only justification that I can think of is that he's nailed on to start against Olympiacos on Thursday. Um, but even so, we play on. We played on Saturday. The game's not till Thursday. Surely that would be enough time to recover. Um, and if we're looking at the Leicester game, I felt like William obviously played well in that game. But did he do more than Pepe? No, certainly not. So if there was one player that I would have liked to have started out of the two, it would have been Nicola Pepe. Um, so that was frustrating. But when he did come on, and bear in mind he was only on the pitch for 21 minutes. He did more in those 21 minutes than pretty much the rest of the team, particularly in that that second half. So it was frustrating that he didn't get on the pitch for longer. And it was frustrating that he didn't start. And it might have been a totally different game had he started that game.
1: Yeah. I I, I was surprised by his omission, uh, looking at the starting lineup. And... (laughs) I guess I, I wasn't surprised that William started because he'd had his one good game of the season. You've got to reward that. You've got to build the lad up. But,
0: Get his confidence up.
1: Well, this is the thing. And I, and I do understand that. You, you know, you and Andre talk all the time about a lot of these players need a run of games to find any sort of form. But for someone like Pepe, who is actually finding that form, finally, you know, it's, it's taken a bit of time, but he's starting to look more like the player that that we believed he was meant to be when he joined the club it is really annoying to, to see him not appear until that sort of crucial point at the end when bizarrely, because of his, you know, entrance to the pitch, this then becomes an end-to-end game <laughs> yeah. because, you know, both teams are chasing this result. Um, yeah, a, a very strange way to, to kind of close it out. But like you say, encouraging that clearly something is working for him now because whether he is playing a full game or whether he's coming on as sort of that super sub at the end to try and make the difference, it is making the difference and, and he is proving himself to be a good player.
0: Yeah. He's, he's starting to have that chaos factor where I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it could be brilliant. It could be horrific, but I think defenders are starting to be really worried about him because when he is brilliant, he's very, very difficult to stop. And yeah. he's starting to get that consistency. And certainly since Christmas, um, he started to really show himself to, to be the sort of quality player that we thought we were getting when we signed him um, for £72 million. But the less said about that transfer fee, the better. <laughs> it's a lot um, of money. A lot of money. Um, and I, I think you're well within your right to expect more of him as a player than he has produced to date. But at the moment, he looks like a player capable of making the difference in, in games. And I, I just think he needs to play he needs to play and have a run in the team rather than coming in and out, in and out, um, shaking it all about. <laughs> so, fingers crossed, he does. And I, I'd be absolutely amazed if he doesn't start on um, on Thursday against Olympiacos, which, yeah. Uh, yeah. which kind of leads us on to another point because I'm going to bring in a question that Andre put to, to us um, in preparation for this, I was going to say interview then, but it's not... this this podcast I'm not that Uh,
1: important come on
0: yeah but what do we think the starting 11 will be on Thursday now we don't need to go into extensive detail on this but since the Benfica game where we looked like we'd found a winning formula with with that team that looked like it was our best 11 since then Arteta has, has rotated heavily um, in the Leicester game and also heavily in the Burnley game, so it's not necessarily a guarantee about what he will play for the Olympiacos game on Thursday. So, what what sort of side do you think he might play, Chris? It's
1: he's got to play the strongest side he can, and and like you say, I think there has been a good amount of rotation to ensure that some of these players are fit and able to to make this trip and play this game. Um, you you have to pick a team that includes people like Tierney still you, ha- you have to pick a team that hopefully has has Pepe starting um, I-, I don't know what to do about uh, strikers at Arsenal anymore because I-, I find that depending on the type of game like watching say the Burnley game we've just seen Aubameyang scored his goal very easily at the beginning of the game but then without service just is very withdrawn in a game. And and for me, I think someone like Lacazette is a is a bit more purposeful when he's kind of moving about more than I think Bamiyang done. Who who is someone who is very much like at the head of the team and waiting for something to be delivered to him. Uh, yeah. Whereas Lacazette is is a bit more in the mix, just slightly slightly further back and and kind of waiting to maybe make that burst himself as well. Um, yeah. What what's happening with, with Callum Chambers now? Is is he just is he back?
0: Well, he's certainly fit enough to play, and I think he, he started that. That was a big big obviously shock when we saw the starting eleven on the weekend. Yeah, it's yeah. been
1: years, hasn't it? Well, when did he last play? About twenty nineteen.
0: Uh, the last time he played in the league was against Chelsea um, in Mikel Arteta's first home game in charge. So yeah. it's been a long, long time for Callum Chambers. Um, but I think the reason he played was because I think Arteta was very wary of the height that Burnley have and how direct they are. Yeah. And I think by putting essentially another centre-back into the team at right-back, it just protected us from that aerial threat um, a little bit. So I, I, I didn't really have an issue with, with that inclusion. And it was uh, definitely nice to see Chambers back because he's uh, one of those players which I think everyone can see. He's a good lad. He gives his all for the club. Um, and he's another one of those players like Rob Holding that everyone is desperate to do well. Um, yeah, whether, yeah. whether he's got a long-term future at be <laughs> beyond the summer, we'll have to wait and see. But um, I think he's a, a useful squad player to have, if not ever going to be like a regular starter.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but just going back to the question about the team for Thursday, I think the team will be Leno, obviously. I've got a feeling Cedric will play right back if he's fit. Because I'm not sure what happened with him being not in the squad at all on the weekend. But I would go with Cedric. But um, it really wouldn't be surprising if Hector Bellerin played in that game. And then I think the, the two in the middle will probably be David Luiz and Pablo Mari, who I think deserves to keep his place in the side. And then Tierney at left-back. Midfield duo of Partey and Xhaka, I would have thought, depending on the fitness of Thomas Partey, if he's not fully fit, then I could see Danny Sabayas coming in.
1: Well, he he got subbed at the end of the last game, didn't he? He had he's had a little bit of a break.
0: He's had a little bit of a break, but he seems to be obviously he's just come back from injury, and he he seems to be struggling for ninety minutes at the moment. Like yeah. he can last about sixty minutes, and then he starts to sort of waver off a little bit. So I think those would be our midfielders, and then I would expect the the front four to be Saka, Odegaard, Pepe, and Aubameyang. So I I I think. I would be surprised if there was too many deviations from that, but then again, with Mikel Arteta, I never know. So we we'll just have to wait and see with that one. Yeah,
1: just I mean, whack Willian in starting lineup, <laughs> give Surely him another not. blast. <laughs>
0: Surely, I, I mean, you, you'd
1: hope not, but he's definitely going to get minutes. He'll he'll almost certainly come on at the end of the game.
0: Yeah, just to just to see the game out, just give him a few <laughs> more minutes. <laughs> stick stick him in goal, see how he does there.
1: He might be brilliant. Maybe that's his calling.
0: He might well be, but be um, better than Runeisen. <laughs> He's such a bad goalkeeper.
1: I feel He's, sorry for him. Why is he at the club? Why I, is he at that level?
0: I, I felt when he played that game against Man City and made that horrific mistake and just looked out of his depth. Um, that was the over, overriding feeling that you just you did just sympathise with him and feel really really bad for him to be in that situation. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't know, whoever sanctioned that deal needs to have a long, hard look at themselves. But uh, I said at the time, name a bit uh, a bigger downgrade from Emmy Martinez to Alex Runison.
1: Oh, God, it's, it's night and day, two. isn't it? It really is. Now, looking forward,
0: um, on Sunday, obviously after we play Olympiacos on Thursday, uh, firstly, what are your predictions for Olympiacos, Chris?
1: I, I think it will be a, a, a very tight game. Um, whoever takes that one is going to be a one nil win. And I obviously hope that that will be Arsenal, but I, I think it's going to be tight margins in that game.
0: Just to uh, jump in there. Um, we won one nil there in the first leg last season and yeah. went out in the second leg. So as much as I would, I'd happily take a one nil win uh, for Thursday. Um, I hope we do the second leg significantly better than we did last year because yeah, we yeah. we fell to pieces um, and got knocked out by a really, really average Olympiakos side. So it'll be a hard game on Thursday, but I'll take 1-0 there. And then on Sunday, we have the misery of the North London derby. And I'm not looking forward to that one bit. Um and I've got another question from Andre, which we'll talk about shortly. But uh what are your feelings going into the North London derby on Sunday?
1: I can't imagine that being an enjoyable watch. Uh like not that it ever is, really, because there's always the the added worry that a loss to Tottenham is a is a severe loss just because of the, you know, the cultural weight of it all. But I, I don't see us winning that. I really don't see us winning that.
0: Honesty. Brutal honesty. <laughs>
1: I just, I can't, I can't see any buoyant optimism in that one. And I, and I think they'll win as well by playing just a, a really dogged Mourinho, boring as fuck performance that doesn't, doesn't deserve anything and will be undone by just like one little flash, one little breakaway goal. And, and, and that'll be it, I think.
0: Well, I bloody hope not.
1: <laughs> um,
0: because I, it's it's the least enjoyable fixture of the year for me because the the risk factor far outweighs the enjoyment and far outweighs the reward. Um, yeah. Because as much as it's fantastic when you do beat uh, the old enemy, um, it's nothing short of horrific. The build up to it, I I, I can tell you already, all of next weekend is ruined. Because it's the preparation for the North London derby and I can't handle that. Um, So I'm looking forward to a really relaxing weekend after my first week back at teaching this week. (laughs) So that'll be fun. Um, And then the Sunday of the game, the day of the game is just unbearable because you have all this tension building up to kick off. You get to the game and then all of a sudden it all goes out the window within a few minutes that's uh, that's uh, what quite often happens with Arsenal but I think you're right I think we'll see uh, I watched a bit of Tottenham last night and they they played quite well against Crystal Palace and they played some good football in the second half but I don't see that happening at Arsenal I think what they'll do is what they did at home they'll dig in they'll try and catch us on the break and that'll be the way that they play because that's how they seem to approach these big games yeah so it's going to be all about the first goal if we get the first goal I think we'll go on to win it um, if we don't get the first goal, it's just going to be an uphill task the whole game because Spurs will just go deeper and deeper and deeper and make it virtually impossible for us to get back in the game. But what I would say is we are playing better football now than we were when we played them at their awful stadium. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: for sure. So
0: so there is, there is some cause for optimism. Um, but what Andre asked is, would we take losing to them on Sunday... If it meant we went through in the Europa League,
1: oh, I, I think you'll say no. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but for me, I, I'd say yeah. I, I'd, I'd take that because the season's done. The, the season is absolutely done in terms of the Premier League, and I, I just you know with with however many, however many games are left, I can't see us finishing more than tenth. I, I think yeah. it's just going to be this same wave. Of we have this game and it's like, oh, oh, it could happen. You know, people could drop points. We, we could make up that ground. And, and then we won't <laughs> because we'll have another Burnley or, or, you know, any sort of game like that where suddenly you, you feel we're just going to walk it. And instead, you know, we, we just piss in the wind and it goes back in our own faces every single time. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would take it because, because I think the Olympiacos game is obviously the hardest tie we've had in, in Europa so far this year. Um, and, and I think we will, we will struggle, not that they're an amazing team, but I think we'll, we'll make hard work of it over two legs and to kind of have that taken away and just feel like, yep, that's in the bag. I'd take the loss at the weekend.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Uh, you rightly predicted that I wouldn't because I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm not at all rational when it comes to playing them. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm fairly sure that Andre would probably be in your line of thinking because he he seems to be able to, particularly a few days before the game, he's quite good at taking a bit more of a step back than I am. Um, but I think the, the reality of the situation is, and you touched on some brilliant points there, um, is that the league is a very tall order for us to do anything in now. Um, we're going to have to go on a, a run, which we haven't seen from anyone but Manchester City, um in the Premier League this season to get anywhere near the European places. Um, so that's gonna be really, really hard work to see us finishing above ninth or tenth. I was looking at the table the other day and I went through all the teams that I that are above us and pretty much all of them I looked at and just thought I just I can't see how we're getting the momentum to go that much higher on the table. The only one that I looked at and thought there was a possibility was Aston Villa. Yeah. And that, and they've got a game in hand on us. Um, because that, particularly since Jack Grealish has been out injured, they, they've really sort of like tapered off. So there's maybe possibility for that. But even then, ninth position, eighth maybe at a push, um, it just doesn't do anything for us. Um, as much said, as it's
1: nice to potentially finish above Liverpool. <laughs> oh,
0: it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I, I tweeted out yesterday and said, if someone had said at the start of the season that at this point of the year, we'd be five points behind the champions, you'd have taken that all day long.
1: (laughs) That's got to be one of the worst title defences in in living history, hasn't it, for the Premier League?
0: Uh, Chelsea did a whopper in 2016-17, I think. Where Uh, where did they finish? I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember when they finished. It was was like eighth or something like that, I think. Um, But they they did a pretty weak uh, and tame title defence. Yeah. The other thing I did want to touch on quickly is... The implications for Arsenal Football Club if we don't have any European football next year, and I mean, as of next year, there are going to be three Euro- European competitions: the Champions League, the Europa League, and the UEFA Conference League.
1: Um, <laughs> but you, the UEFA Johnson's Paint Trophy.
0: Essentially, that's what it is, and we're not as it stands, we're not getting in that. Um, <laughs> so. The implications of having no European football at all next year are going to be massive because as of uh, this week, Arsenal announced that the club have made a £47.8 million loss in the last year, um, obviously largely because of the coronavirus. Um, But because of that, we have a real pressing need for European football. And if we've got none at all, then it's going to really restrict what we can do in the transfer market. And as we've alluded to at the start of this podcast, there's so much we do need to do. We need to shift players on. We need to sign better, better footballers. And we need that attraction of being a European club to get those better players in as well. Um, So it's it's huge implications. uh, And it's very, very worrying about what could happen if we don't have that uh, opportunity next year
1: yeah I, I think europe is always this people take it as a very black and white thing and and when you're just looking purely as a team as a name and and you know your results being just numbers you kind of say well you know you're going to be you're going to be a lot fitter if you're not playing those midweek games in europe and everything else but it doesn't necessarily translate to any real success because the club doesn't have the same momentum and status and and like you say not only can you not sign players because you don't have the same financial dividends you get for being in a European competition. But also you start having some very unhappy players in the team already who are sitting on contracts and thinking, why am I here? And and I think we're gonna have a chunk of that at the end of the season anyway, if if we have, you know, an outcome as it looks that we're gonna finish in, say, 10th. Who knows about Europa? But you know, being positive, you know, <laughs> we're, we're gunning for that. We're gunning for that. But there is nothing else to play for outside of, of those two things. And I think you're going to have people on on big contracts and people who see themselves as superstar players and superstar talents, whether they are or not, suddenly looking at the club and thinking, I don't want this to be my future if this is going to be a year of no European football or two years of no European football. Because that is the attraction, isn't it? It's, it's seeing yeah. yourself on a world stage. and And some of these people are just not going to have that.
0: The other issue that we're going to have as well is that it's always been touted that we are a, cha- a Europa League team on a Champions League budget. And yeah. if things go the way they look like they are go, <laughs> next year we could be a non-European team on a Champions League budget. Yeah. Which obviously we have sort of skimmed away a little bit if you think about Mesut Ozil leaving and some of the other players we managed to shift out of the club. Um, but it's still we still have a high salary. Which we need to make sure we're we're reducing, but the urgency to need to do that could be even greater if we don't have any European football next year. Um, yeah. Financially, I've got <clears> no <throat> idea what sort of money you get in from playing in the UEFA Conference League, um, which <laughs> sounds it just sounds horrific that that we could potentially. It's a terrible it name, now, but... isn't
1: it? A terrible name. What league positions even get you into the UEFA Conference now?
0: Um. I don't know. Honestly, we, me and Andre were talking about this the other day and I, I honestly don't know. I think it's if you win the Cups, you get in. So the FA Cup winners get a UEFA conference place and the League Cup winners get a UEFA conference place. So I, I think that is that is it. But I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about league positions or anything like that. They might might be somewhat, someone in the league gets one as well.
1: Well... We're out of both those cups, <laughs> so we're not getting in that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll do I some.
0: Re- I'll do some research and see if I can, uh, what uh, i make head or tails of it. That's
1: that's your B homework for the week.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> okay, I think that brings us nicely to the end of the podcast. Um, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this week, and uh, I'm sure Andre will agree when he hears the podcast that you've done a sterling job at. Uh, deputising for him
1: I've tried I've tried
0: and all that leads us to do is to wish Andre the best of luck for his house move this week hopefully that goes according to plan and thank you to everyone who has been listening to the podcast Um, if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media you can follow us on Twitter Facebook and Instagram by searching for the boys in red and white podcast and we also have a website which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com thank you Chris and thank you to everyone for listening and we will we will be back with another podcast next week see you later see you later